Well, good morning. <laughs> I thought that'd be a great way to celebrate Father's Day. Is that about right? I think one of the joys of being a dad is to embarrass your children. Is that agreed on? And one of the joys of being a dad is telling them stupid jokes. So let's start with this one. Why did a kid throw a clock out the window? He wanted to see time fly, right? So, like some of you want to see that right now, right? Just get done. Just get done. I'm so glad you're here this morning, and uh, I want you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we'll have that on the screen. You can follow along with your phone as well if you have that Bible app. And, um, and, and so just a lot of fun this morning, and I'm so thankful you're here. So thankful uh, about what's happening this week at our church. And uh, like I said before in our announcements, we're going to be praying for our kids here in just a few minutes as we continue our time together. Let, let me kind of start out with this. We're in the middle of a teaching series on the book of Acts. And, and we've learned a lot, and this is going to take a while, so we'll finish this in 2024. We're going to take big breaks here, every now and then, uh, but we want to walk through this because this is the way that church is supposed to be. Uh, it's the first church. After Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with the early church, with those disciples, been promised that he would send them what, they call the, what we call the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit to empower us, to seal us. Now, if you misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is, He is God. We understand the Trinity to be Father, Son, and what, church? Holy Spirit. That's all God. You can't separate them. So, and when Jesus was baptized, your Father said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. God the Son was baptized, and it said the Holy Spirit fluttered or landed on Him like a dove. You see the Trinity in its completeness right there. You can't separate them, but it functions differently. Christ took the punishment we deserve and empowers us and gives us confidence and assurance through God in you, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes to the church. The church is born. The church starts to grow. Good things, godly things are happening. In three different occasions, before we get to Acts chapter 6, we see this in verse 42 of chapter 2. We'll kind of reprise everything. It says that the early church, 5,000 people had come to know Christ in that moment. And in chapter 2, verse 42, it says that early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's throw that up on the screen. And to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. They were together. They were in God's word. And everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, they perform these miracles not because this is absolutely normal, but to authenticate that they were from God to bring the message. That's the meaning of an apostle. There's only been those in Scripture. If you find somebody calling themselves an apostle, it's not biblical. These guys were giving God's word and authenticating with miracles. Then it goes on, it says, all the believers had everything in common, and they sold their properties and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together. And God added to their number daily. It says this in the verse 47. That's the first description of that church. Then we find another description in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. He goes on to say, all the believers, notice what it says, they were one in heart and mind. No one claimed to have any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And by God's grace, was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person around them. That's a big, big deal, right? No one had need. And we're not just talking about physical needs. We're talking about emotional and spiritual needs. They ministered to each other. Then we go on to Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. We saw this a few weeks ago. Another description of this church. The apostles continued to perform many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers met together under Solomon's colonnade, which is in the temple courts of the Jewish people. No one else dared join them. 
even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more women and men believed in the Lord and more were added to the number. And as a result, people brought the sick so they could be healed. Amazing things are happening, right? God's been doing some crazy cool stuff in this church. It's not perfect, but it is God-seeking. Now, the church is 2,000 years old. and We're waiting for Christ to return. We're still testifying to the message. And as we wait on Christ... As is typical of humankind, we tend to divert from what God says. Y'all do that personally? Because I do. The church does that too. And as we divert from what God says, we get off track. Now, what we've learned so far in those few chapters of the book of Acts is the church has been attacked from the outside. The religious leaders attacked it. They tried to destroy it, tried to quench it. We saw a couple weeks ago they were thrown in prison. They were beaten. And so they had all these attacks coming from the outside, but this morning we see attacks coming from the inside of the church. Now, you and I are natural-born complainers. Agreed? We complain about a lot of stuff. Now, some of you are like, I'm not a whiner. Yes, you are, okay? And we whine about different things now. We whine in different ways. But we can always find something to complain about. And that has never been more evident than in church. Agreed? I'm willing to bet you've complained about something in church before. Because I have. You probably complained about the pastor. I hope not. I don't want to believe that. But I'm sure you have. Or at least thought something bad. Or wrote it down. You've complained about the music. Maybe it's too loud. Maybe it's too soft. You complained about somebody in the church. You've complained about insects, bugs, snakes. I'm not going anywhere with that in the church before. You've complained about, I will never forget, I was serving a church in Louisiana, and the paint color got a lot of complaints. Have y'all been there before with that kind of stuff? You ever complained about how, I mean, listen, man, I, people complain about all kinds of stuff. My son works at the gym. Someone walked into the gym the other day and said, this place smells like sweaty men. What do you think it's going to smell like? Because <laughs> women don't sweat, right, ladies? <laughs> you glow. All right. One of the craziest things I ever heard was somebody complained and switched churches altogether. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Because their church's stained glass windows were not as pretty as the other church downtown. And therefore, they couldn't worship. Now, look, you may just sit there and judge for a moment, but we do that, too, even in a contemporary context, right? It's easy. So how do we deal with this? Now, I want you to notice what happens here. This is where the complaint comes. It said in those days, this is five years later, okay? It's about five years after Christ ascends into heaven. In Acts chapter 6, the early church is still in Jerusalem. The apostles are still teaching the gospel. Uh, in a few chapters, you're going to see uh, where the church is scattered, and they go and share the gospel and plant churches all over the region and into the ends of the earth. But at this moment, the church is still sitting in Jerusalem there. And Jewish people are coming to Christ. Follow me so far? Now you come to Acts chapter 6. It said, In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now let's just kind of understand what's going on here because there's a couple of things you got to know. First of all, in Jewish culture, specifically in Jerusalem, there are two types of Jewish people. One is what they call Hebraic Jews. These are people who grew up speaking Hebrew. These are the people who were born in Israel and had a distinct 
Israeli, Israeli Jewish culture, which is very different than other places in the world. Then you had Hellenistic Jews, which are those who grew up in the Greek world. Now, years and years, hundreds of years before this, you've heard of this guy named Alexander the Great, right? You heard of this guy before? He conquered the entire ancient world. He pursued to the ends of Europe all the way to the fringe of India, which did something wonderful for the gospel is that everybody could speak Greek. And in that Greek context, people had a Greek way of thinking in a Greek culture. So even though you may be biologically and in your ancestor his ancestry history Jewish, you grew up in a Greek context. Make sense so far? And so they celebrated Greek things. They spoke Greek. They didn't speak typically Hebrew and things like that. But here's the deal. At the twilight of their lives, they would move to Jerusalem because they wanted to be as close to the temple when they died. So Jerusalem swelled with people from different areas of the Greek world. And you had two groups, those who were born there and those who moved there who share common religion. You follow me so far on this? Now, because the older population moved there and they were Greek, what typically happens is there's a lot of widows there from a Greek context. You make sense so far. Now, the Hebrew people were coming to Christ. The Greek Jews were coming to Christ. And they're coming to church together. And what happens when you bring different groups of a culture together into one place? Clicks, right? Happens everywhere. Not just in church, it happens at school, happens at work. When people have a common thing going on, they typically, typically get together and talk about it, right? I've been overseas I don't know how many times, and it is sometimes refreshing to sit down with someone who can speak English, all right? It's just the way it is. It's not necessarily sinful, just the way it is. So you had this church coming together, this melting pot of people, and, and, and there was another group, we'll see those in a second. These were people who didn't grow up Jewish, but, but converted to Judaism and then came to know Jesus. They're in the church too, not as numerous. Now, they're all getting together. They're worshiping Christ together. God is doing some stuff, but they're following the pattern of Jewish culture because the commandment of God in the Old Testament in Exodus says that they are to take care of two distinct groups there. Jewish people were. Orphans and what? Widows. Why those two groups? Because those were the most helpless and the most vulnerable people in culture. The widows did not have the people around them to go, and it's an agrarian society. They had to farm if they wanted to eat, right? They didn't have people taking care of them that way. They were vulnerable to being taken advantage of in a very male-dominated culture. And then orphans had no one. These guys would be on the streets begging for food. And typically grew up in a context where even as adults they had nothing. And so God commanded those Jewish people in the Old Testament to take care of them. Now this is transferred into the early church. In fact, if you go to the book of James, it says the thing that the church is supposed to do is to take care of the most vulnerable, i.e. orphans and what? Widows. Now in Jewish culture, they took care of widows every day and then once a week let me help you understand if you are a resident of jerusalem and you are a widow they would come to your house once a week every friday and give you enough money to buy food for 14 meals that was just the practice of the jewish culture if you were transient they would distribute food every day so you could eat the church took up that call too in the name of jesus 
And they were taking care, as we've read before, so that no one had needs. You remember that in the last three passages we read in the book of Acts. But they were also distributing food on a daily basis. And what was happening was the Hellenistic Jews were complaining because they were getting passed over. And I don't think this was intentional. You know, we see a lot of things happen in church and we complain about a lot or get our feelings hurt a lot. And I would say 99.9% of the time, none of it's intentional. We're all fallible, right? We all miss things. I miss things. I've had complaints personally to where you didn't call me when I was sick. Well, I didn't know. Well, I had it on social media. If you're sick, dying, hurt, don't put it on Facebook before you call me, okay? Uh, 770-601-5405 is my phone number. I don't care who knows it. All right. Then I've had complaints. You've called me too much. Where are you? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) It happens. We miss things. We're not perfect. But as this is going on, I want you to notice this. It says, and this was important to those first apostles. So the twelves gathered together all the disciples together, gathered all the disciples together. So they got the whole church together, and they said this. Um, um, I need glasses. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now that sounds kind of like crude, does it not? Or kind of rude. It's like it's below us. That's not what they're saying here. To wait on tables is a phrase used in the New Testament to demonstrate, hey, to distribute the food and help people get their needs met. The problem is that first church was 5,000 plus, maybe 10,000 at this point. And there was 12 of them, and they're trying to distribute food, and they could not testify to what Christ had called them to do and share the gospel. Make sense so far? You remember, these guys were around Jesus when he died and rose from the dead. And God's specific calling was for them to share this message. But yet they're trying to do what other things that God had called them to do. So they did the most brilliant thing ever. They brought everybody together and talked about it. And this is where you find the creation of the office in the church called deacons. You've heard of that before, right? A deacon is simply this, a person who serves. That's it. Now, many churches confuse this, and we put them into positions called elders. They're not elders. We have deacons and deaconesses here, and their role is to take care of people, serve people in times of need, to pray for people. And some of you are like that, and you're doing a fantastic job. Elders have a different function. Now, I want to keep rolling here. We don't have time to deal with all that this morning. But you have these two cultures, and so they were like, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Spirit, of of, of the Word of God in order to wait tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be, and there's two prerequisites, full of the Spirit, which means God-led, and then what and have and they also have wisdom which means not just i'm very intelligent there's a practicality there to help people let me give you an example many of you are skilled in doing different types of construction projects many of us are not but when someone needs a wheelchair ramp you talk about a major purpose being fulfilled that's the role of a deacon in some ways. Now, if you're not a deacon, that's still your calling, okay? We're talking about practical application. Then he goes on to say this. Notice this. Go back. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, 
So what they're saying here is this. Our church has grown so big, we got to have structure. Now, for many of you, when you hear that idea of structure in church, it kind of gives you a knee-jerk reaction, right? It's like, oh, I don't know if I like that. Because the church is supposed to come together and be somewhat organic, right? And that's what's happened so far. However, when we look at Scripture, there's always structure. There's always some paradigm in order to keep the train on the track. Make sense? Go to the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1. You see the beauty of God's creation. Some of you, some, who, who in here is just kind of a creative person? You kind of enjoy being creative. You take pictures. You paint. You think of things. You imagine. Man, Genesis chapter 1 is your jam. God is painting the skies. And then some of you are very logical. Point one, point two. That's your jam, right? You like numbers. You want certainty. Genesis chapter 2 is your jam. And guess what? God does them both. <laughs> and that's the church. In the Old Testament, the temple was created in all of its beauty and immaculate. But at the same time, there was structure there. Do this, do this this way. He gives us a palette to paint and then tells us how to do it. Isn't that good? So let me illustrate it this way. I have a pitiful garden, okay? I'm doing the best I can. Some of you like to garden, and I like to say that I do. My squash are doing very well. The deer ate the okra, and I'm bitter, all right? But, I'm, but, but guys, have y'all been to the grocery store and bought green beans lately? It's a couple things that happen. They've gotten more expensive, right? And number two, they shrunk in size about how much they give you, which makes me bitter. You know what I'm saying? Because I like green beans, so I decided this year I'm going to plant like you know an estate full of green beans so i've got all these green beans out there they're doing great but here's the deal you ever planted a bean or a pea plant they run all over the place what i mean by run for all you kids that don't know what i'm talking about here is it's a vine okay and it goes all over the place unless you give it structure so i've got these i've got this wonderful idea from a guy in our church he takes this fence he rolls it and makes it a cage he puts it over his pea plants they go straight up and guess what i don't have to bend over to pick them and they go straight up and i get more beans duh the church needs that. You follow me? We need the trellis because we are the vine. So, that being said, how do we become this church? Now, read what happens next. This proposal pleased the whole group. So, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. You're going to read about him next week. Or next, actually, you're going to read about him on July 9th. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, you'll find him in Acts chapter 8. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parameus, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So you see right there is a couple things. Most of these guys were Hellenistic Jews, except for maybe one or two. And the last one had converted to Judaism and then became a Christian. Do you see that? You see the melting pot of the church that's happening here? You're going to see this more so in the coming chapters in the book of Acts. So you have all this stuff going on. God has given them the, the thing, and notice what happens. So the word, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, and then get this. Notice the result here. So the word of God spread. Get that? The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and this last part is beautiful. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So even Jewish priests were converting to Christianity. You see what happens when you put structure with creativity? You put the trellis and the vine together, 
there is more rapid God stuff that's happening. So we're not going to talk about what it means to be a deacon. I think you got that. But, but what we do want to talk about this morning is simply this. How do we become the church that God intends for us to be when our natural knee-jerk reaction is to complain? You with me? How do we become the church that God intends us to be based upon this when our natural reaction is to complain? I think we pull two huge truths out of this text. There's more that we could pull. We only got time for two. Then I'm going to give you a couple thoughts at the end. Number one, we serve better together. We serve better together. What happened? The apostles were overwhelmed. They came together and brought the church together and said, we got to do this together. You get that? You have a specific calling in your life if you're a Christian, period. And you're not meant to be a lone ranger. And when we, and it's so, what's happening this week in the life of this church with as many volunteers, we have a one to two ratio of kids to, to adults this week at Vacation Bible School. That's crazy. We serve better together. And when we choose to come together and do something, God does something even more than we can imagine. So, are you trying to do it on your own? Or are you willing to join a team? You get me? You have value. But here's, the, here's another part. This is truth number two. You, we, all have a place and a purpose. Now, this is where we do a little digging here. You had three groups of people here, right? You had those that were in need, and they needed a church to come around them. Make sense? You had the apostles who were leading the church, but their primary calling was to express and testify to what they'd seen in Christ. And then you had the rest of the church, specifically later on the deacons, that needed to come together and serve. Each one of them had a specific role. But here's the deal. We know this from Scripture. One role wasn't better than the other. And sometimes in our own flesh, in our own comparative mindset, we begin to compare things and think, well, they do this and I do this and they're more important. No, 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 no. That's not the case at all. When we go back in the text here, the apostles were already handing out the food and doing the dirty work, right? When I mentor younger, when I mentor younger ministers, and I get, I'm, I'm at that age where I'm starting to do that, <laughs> I always tell them, you need to be able to clean the bathroom and make your own copies. You get what I'm saying? Nobody is below any role or task. However, in order to move the gospel forward, the deal is there are different roles that all of us have and the role that God specifically gave his apostles to express the gospel. Yet, at the same time, they were distributing the food too. And as the deacons came up, your role is to distribute the food. However, I want you to give you a little history lesson. Y'all ready for this? If you go, let's look at the first couple of, of the guys chosen here. Number one, go back to verse five. The first guy that was chosen was Stephen. As you'll learn later on in Acts chapter six, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was the first person other than Jesus to be killed for his faith. He was a martyr. And it says, right, and they brought him out outside of the city of Jerusalem. They stoned him to death. And right before he died, it says, Christ appeared and gave him a standing ovation. You get what I'm saying there? 
That's a beautiful image of what it means to follow the Lord. It said he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And because of that situation that happened and he was killed for his faith, the church scattered and started planting churches. You get me? Acts chapter 8, you see Philip. He's the second guy on the list. Philip was doing miraculous things and spreading the gospel. Go back and read Acts chapter 8. God used him in some profound ways. Then you see a guy named Prochorus. Prochorus, legend and church tradition has it, is that he was the one that the, that the apostle John dictated the gospel of John to, and he wrote it down. Not only that, he became a bishop, and then later on after that, he was killed for his faith. Let me tell you something. Nobody was below anybody or above anybody in this situation. Agreed? The rest of these guys' were names were lost to history. But if you read over and over and over again, even one lady will read later on in the book of Acts, her name was Dorcas, worst name ever. You get what I'm saying? Her name was Dorcas, and she was one of these widows. But through her background serving people in the shadows, people came to know Jesus. Isn't that cool? No one is below or above anyone else. But we all have a place, and we all have a purpose. Question, are you living out your purpose? Do you know your place? If you don't, if you're choosing not to, you're on the wrong side of what God would have you to do. Live it out. Serve. See God work. And then notice the result here. Go back to verse 7. When this is happening, you see this church decided to deal with the complaint and focus on what the Lord was doing and notice the amazing result. It says the word of God spread, meaning they were testifying to what the gospel was. It spread. Number two, notice this. The number of disciples in Jerusalem were increasing rapidly. And then number three, even the Jewish priests, the people who you would think never would turn to Christ, did. That's miraculous, agreed? But it's because the church chose to put the trellis up and let the vine grow. You follow me? It's beautiful, isn't it? So how do we become like this? Well, I believe, this is personally, and we're going to get off the text here for a moment but these are more of observations in our culture today you with me on that i want to make that clear i believe life comes down to choices and the choices that you make have consequences and have benefits right now is god big enough to redeem you and change you and work through those bad choices everybody say yes he does that's the big guy that we have and there are many of you who can testify to that personally, and your pastor can too. But I think there's choices that we have as people who know Jesus as it pertains to church. You follow me on that? As people who know Jesus as it pertains to church as an organization or structure. You follow me? There's going to be one of three choices you get to make. You can choose to be a consumer. Now, that is an epidemic right now in Western culture, specifically the United States. It's consumer-driven Christianity. What can I get out of it? Does it scratch me where I itch? And this is where the complaints come in. If I don't like the music here, I can bounce somewhere else. If I don't like the carpet there, I can bounce somewhere else. You know, we're blessed to have a church on every corner, even though we're 92% unchurched think through that for a moment and we can bounce from church to church to church to church to church and if it makes us feel good that's great 
but we never make a long-term investment. You know one of the things I love? I've been at this church 16 years in September. I ain't planning to go anywhere. I'll rock my grandkids on my front porch. Here's the deal. I get to do weddings and baby dedications and funerals. That's the bad part. But, I mean, I get to stand with you guys, and you get to stand with me through life together. And that's what it's about, is it not? And what I want to tell you as, a, as, a, as your pastor and as a Christian, invest your life in a church that's not perfect. Not based upon necessarily how you makes you feel, but about how God is moving. Are you with me on that? Now he's moving you. Don't be a consumer. We look at Scripture, you don't see that. Two, second choice you have is you can be a complainer. You know who those guys are, right? Because <laughs> you're probably one of them, like me. <laughs> the complainers, you go to church today, you're going to go home and eat, and you're going to talk about, <sighs> did you hear that illustration he told about the green beans? I'm so tired of hearing him cheer up about his farm and stuff. It's so stupid. And if he uses Walmart one more time in a situation that relates it to hell, I'm going to leave this church. <laughs> Guess what's coming next week? <laughs> Listen to me. Complainers do nothing but divi create divisiveness and destroy testimony. And honestly, in those two groups, the consumer complainer, I question whether they know Jesus or not. That's harsh to say, isn't it not? But a lot, there's a lot of truth in that. The final choice you have is, to, is you can be a champion. You can champion the mission of the church. You can champion the gospel. That's the choice. Specifically, we boil it down here at River Hills. We take the great commandment in Scripture and the great commission in Scripture. We put them together and say we are all about connecting truth and people together. That's our mission. You can choose to champion it, be a consumer and bounce to the next church, or complain about it and how we do it. Do we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Are we trying hard? Yeah. We try to keep our focus the main thing. So how do you get there personally? I want you to walk through these next steps with me. Step one. You've got to know God. Know God. On a redemptive perspective, you've got to ask Christ to come into your life in order to know Christ and get to heaven. That's, that's primary. That's foundational, right? But also, you have to grow in your relationship with God. Get in the Word. You know, everything about this church that we read about in Acts is it started with that one sentence in verse 42 of chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was Scripture. That's where it started, right? I want to give you a Bible reading plan for the week. We'll try to get that up on the screen here in a moment. But understand, know God redemptively. Know God by getting into his word. Spend time with Jesus. One of the Bible reading plans I just finished reading up was uh, on Bible.com. And there's the one we have for this week. Uh, you can take a picture of that. Go to Bible.com or the Bible app and search that. But I just got through reading one called Songs of Jesus by Tim Keller. It was amazing. Two, know yourself. Who are you? How has God created you? How has God created you? What's God's purpose for my life? What's God want me to do? Know yourself. How has God uniquely gifted you? Some of you have always wondered that, right? There's no 100% answer, but there are great tools out there. Let me give you one. 
There's a tool out there with a specific website that you can go to. It takes all of your experiences and giftedness. You can take a picture of that. Go to that, freeshapetest.com. And at the end, it's got a little place where you can email me with your results so we can find the right place for you to serve. Sound good? And my email address, we'll throw that up on the screen, is at chip at churchatriverhills.com. Know yourself. Number three, know the church. Get involved in groups. Get involved in Experience River Hills uh, luncheon that we do. Know the church. Don't just sit there. Know the people. Number four, know what it means to give of yourself. Well, what does that mean? You give of yourself in church in three ways. You give yourself time serving others. You take your talents that God has given you, and you use them. You know, I look around. Isn't that cool right here? A lady in our church, Terry Lance, she builds this out every year. I don't know what time she went to bed the other night. All I know is I walked in this morning and smelled the paint that she used and thought it's going to be a good Sunday. <laughs> but what a talent, right? Use your talents. Number three, your tithe and what you give financially. And no, every pastor loves talking about money. Sarcastically said right there. I just want you to be honest with that. We all hate it. That's part of it. And the reason God asks you to tithe and give, not because he needs it, but because one of the greatest idols in our life is finances. Agreed? And when you give it away, it becomes less of an idol. Right? It's the way it works for me. So, I want to invite you this morning to take a next step to be a champion. And here's what we're going to do. We're running late, but we're going to take three minutes to do this. The worship team, y'all come back out. I saw uh, us online a few weeks ago of a, a lady. She was in her 70s or 80s. And when she was in the third or fourth grade, she had attended a vacation Bible school. And the lady had came to know Jesus at the vacation Bible school. And for the next 60, 70 years, she has faithfully served the kids in that church where she came to know Christ. She stayed in the community and served at vacation Bible school. We have an opportunity to see that happen here. You know, we have teenagers serving at Vacation Bible School who have come to Christ at this church. Isn't that cool? They're giving back. We have adults. Let me see. Man, I'm out of time. Our children's minister, Cecilia Shields, sent me a text the other day and said in 2000, I believe, 13, there was a message preached at this church, and she turned to Jesus, and now she's back there serving hundreds of kids. That's what the gospel does. And so we want to pray into that this morning. So I'm going to open up this altar here. Please don't get in the water too much. But we want to come up here and pray for these kids this morning. And at some point, Megan, when y'all feel like it's over, you finish it, okay? So I'm going to pray. I want to invite you to come down here and pray with me. Sound good to you guys? You want to pray in your seat? You pray in your seat. But we're going to ask God to do something big with these kids this week. Sound good? Father in heaven, you are good, you are powerful, and you are big. May we be the church that champions the gospel, that champions truth, that champions who you are, and may you be glorified in that. This week, demonstrate your power and your glory and move in a unique and powerful way through these volunteers and in the lives of these kids. And may we seek you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. If you